Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. So, happy birthday to me. I am now a 40-year-old, and this has brought about a great conversation between the two of us here on this podcast. You're going to be in for a little generational conversation today on Our Soul. Myself, the old dinosaur 40-year-old, and the young spry 20-something Kelly Fox. Kelly, do you want to give a shout-out to the listeners? I mean, I'm just I'm a cusper. <laughs> I, I don't know what I don't know what generation I belong to. Am I Gen Z? Am I millennial? I mean... I think technically I'm in the middle, um, but it has been clear um, in some conversations that I am more like Gen Z than than millennial. I don't know. But yes, I am the young one. <laughs> Born in 1984, I am a part of the class often referred to as elder millennials. Yes, I'll get my cane and my like, you know, biofreeze back you know medication out here in a minute but we we were having an interesting discussion that we would like to invite you as our listener in on a discussion about how people in different age ranges and different life phases process their emotions differently um Working in repro, we deal with a lot of emotions. People have a lot of big feels across all elements of our work, particularly when you think about advocacy. Um, you know, everybody has a different opinion about politics and, you know, the, the politics of abortion care and repro access. And when you get beyond the advocacy shell, though, you get into the politics of education and the emotions of education basic comprehensive sexuality education has a lot of feelings for a lot of different people a lot of radical differences between uh, generations around how we talk about sex human sexuality about safety um you know intimate partner violence all of those kind of things and then you get even deeper into our mission because remember we are about advocacy education and also pastoral care and counseling. That's kind of like the the inner sanctum of a lot of our work, right? It's it's the place that we hold uh, so dear and carefully the hearts of others. There are huge differences in the way that people receive care and the way that people receive support based upon generational predilections and, frankly, their expectations of religion and society so if that sounds like something cool that you'd like to dive into get excited because that's our episode for today uh generational emotional intelligence and how we as many different generations process and understand repro so just to to kick it off uh here a little bit um we often in this place have discussions about how many different opinions in our movement find a way to move together, right? And particularly around abortion care, around abortion access, there is a real spirit in the culture right now of a divide in, in the, the political left, in the ideological left. There's a divide between um, a lot of folk who are interested in making kind of that slow, 
planned progress, maybe a little more cautious. You might think of, of folks as moderates or pragmatists, depending on how they describe themselves. And that often gets played over and against people who are more radical, progressive, right? Or the, the um, at activist left, some people will try to refer to them as. Most of those folk in, in that group refer to themselves as common sense <laughs> progressives, right? Uh, so there's there's this divide that really is a bunch of people. It's not two sides to, to any coin. But the, the fascinating part about that is that big spectrum from folk who just want to reform the system, whatever the system is, whether it's uh, repro, uh, the police, the economic system, whatever system it is, they, they want to reform the system bit by bit and, and small chunk by small chunk. They are in a different place than folks who say, this system is really bad. We need to tear it all down and just start new, right? The odd part, though, is that dichotomy, that stretch in society is also mirrored in most religious experience as well. We're coming up on a very important anniversary for many people in our listening audience and for Kelly in particular. We're coming up on the five-year anniversary of the Special General Conference of the United Methodist Church. Those who are listeners here have heard uh, a little about that. But Kelly, would you would you like to explain, like, as a as a former Methodist, as a recovering Methodist, as a I don't know how you define yourself, you have to let us know. Um, what is this like for you? What was that general conference like for you? And and in the context of this general uh, conversation of change. How does that fit with who you know you are now? Yeah. Um, first, I wanted to mention, like, when you were talking about, you know, the uh, kind of spectrum of uh, repro and, like, political um, identifications, uh, you know, I, I was thinking about, like, this difference between people who say that they're pro-choice and people who say that they're pro-abortion or people who say that mm -hmm. they're for reproductive justice and how uh, although like some of the things that we are aiming for are the same the perspective and the general like how how we think about how we want to get to the future is is sometimes very different um and so that's just that's just one example that i came mm -hmm. came to mind that i wanted to bring up but yeah uh, <laughs> I, I was uh talking we were talking before um about you know how it is the 23rd through 26th will be the fifth anniversary of the special conference for the United Methodist Church. And at the time in 2019, um, I was serving as a licensed local pastor for a small church that like we had never had the direct conversation about. Um, and, and for people who uh, don't know, the special conference in 2019 um, was surrounding the quote unquote gay issue. <laughs> Um, uh, whether um, LGBTQ people could be fully accepted into the church, including in leadership and um, being married in churches that they've, you know, grown up in and care about and all of that. Um, so uh, at the time in 2019, I was a licensed local pastor at a small church and we had never really talked about um their political views on uh queer people i did not out myself necessarily to uh, my congregation at the time um but i'd served there for um at least over a year 
And I remember specifically before going to general conference, um, which I was going to as a part of a class that I was in, um, I had a whole sermon where I talked about like loving everyone and how like the body of Christ should not be separated. The hand cannot say to the eye, I don't need you and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I thought it went over well. I felt good about it, honestly. It's actually coming up in my memories um, or it has come up in my memories in the recent time, I think like yesterday, um, about preparing for this like sermon series that I was doing on uh, Corinthians. And uh, I felt good about it. And then I went to a general conference and I had somebody sub for me while I was gone and that was an interesting time. But I went into a general conference um, having a support group of other people who were in school with me. Um, and also, uh, I met, that's where I met Terry. Um, <laughs> that's where this this blossoming relationship began. Um, but uh, when, when I went there, I wasn't exactly sure um, how it would end up. I wasn't confident in the the fact that we even had to have a separate um special general conference was like concerning to me i'd never been to general conference before but the fact that it wasn't a no-brainer was kind of i was young and naive um and uh that kind of like worried me but you know i try to be optimistic and then i think the first full day was just quote unquote, a day of prayer. And in this day of prayer, nobody spoke the word gay. Nobody said the acronym LGBTQ. It was like we were just avoiding the um, subject. And as for like how this is relating back to this conversation about this like generational um, change in how we deal with things, I think that like something that I've seen in my generation um, and in millennials as well, whatever you want to consider me, I think millennials also are a part of this like change. Um, but more and more I'm seeing people like my age or um, around my age and younger uh, choosing to have difficult conversations over, you know, letting a blaringly obvious issue continue and I think like this I've you know I've known more people who have um willingly you know left toxic family relationships um I've known more people who um are willing to you know have a tough conversation with their spouses or their significant others and just not accepting settling for um what is the easy maybe quote-unquote easy way um and instead choosing to have conflict and therefore um become better and I think like um and if we think back to I know a while ago we've talked about um this book conflict is not abuse I I think that a lot more people my age are seeing or are, are, are more willing to have conflict and I'm hoping that are they are also more willing to see that like just because um, we are having a conflict does not mean that we cannot um, be in repair later. But I mean, 
we're not, I, I think there's there's a lot of in between. There's a lot of people who want to be uh, on the transformative justice side of things um, and maybe aren't fully there yet or maybe haven't done the emotional work to be there yet. But I see definitely a lot more um, not willing to sweep it under the rug. And when I think back to um, for those of you who don't know, I was a pastor's kid. So if I think back to like my growing up and kind of the um, like culture that I've been a part of, um, there's a lot of that sweeping under the rug and like wanting things to just kind of look nice on the outside so we don't have to confront the nastiness that's on the inside. And I think that's not good. Um, and maybe that's why I am, I, I identify myself as spiritual, but not religious. And um, I've just found that for myself, I can find God um, not like outside of the church. I can find God in my own independent spirituality. Um, I can find God in other places where I don't have to deal with um, some other toxic things that I've just dealt with. I mean, speaking of the general conference in 2019, you know, I came back. And uh, for those of you who don't know, the result of the general conference in 2019 was um, this voting for what was called the traditional plan. And the traditional, the word traditional is never good for at least people my age. Um, and <laughs> Uh, at least in the United Methodist Church. At least in the United party. Methodist Church. Um, and it was very toxic and harmful for LGBTQ people. Um, and so I came back to church and uh, the next week. And during the joys and concerns, I had written this whole sermon about like how this was bad and how I was upset <laughs> um, and how it doesn't follow that like message of love that we had discussed over the weeks before only to have somebody during my joys and concerns stand up and say like it, it was a 51 49 split on this uh, uh traditional plan and somebody stood up and said we are s glad that the traditional plan passed and we put pray for the 49 percent that voted against it and Man, I have never, <laughs> I have never um, improved more quickly than I did that day because you kind of mm. just have to like save face in that kind of situation. But I remember like mentally editing my entire sermon um, based off of that and based off of everybody else's mm. reaction to that. And it was just really definitely hard for me. And I'm not going to lie, right after that, um, emailed my district superintendent and I said, hey, <laughs> Um, I would like to no longer be here. And um, my last Sunday was like, I think the week after Easter that year. And I have not, I don't think I've, like outside of um, a few uh, UU churches, uh, I don't think I've gone to a church really since then. I've definitely not been a member of a church since then. Um, so I think maybe there are more uh, people my age who have that kind of story. But I think like what I've just generally been have seen is that people are more willing to have the conflict and more willing to not accept um, situations that are harmful for them um, rather than just surviving in an environment that was not built for them. Um, so, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a little bit of my take on, you know, 2019, which is a really 
not just that, but it was just like a rough year, at least for me. <laughs> it was my first year um, out of college. So, um, uh, yeah, 2019 was definitely rough. Um, but I think like that uh, willingness to have conflict and willingness to point out the blaringly obvious, the elephant in the room, if you will, um, is something that I've I've just seen a lot more of. Yeah, the the whole concept of a conflict that you're willing to engage, mm-hmm. right? That has really different definable parameters for people of different ages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I come from folk in Appalachia who are often criticized for being, um, you know, oh, you people are backwards or you, um, you know, you're passive aggressive or you don't want this. The, the reality is we have a way of dealing with people inside our group, mm-hmm. our, our in-group, our family group, and those people who we view as outsiders. That's just part of our culture. And we are often reluctant to get into conflict with outsiders, but we are very happy to get into conflict with people who are in the family because we're going to read you right now, right? Top to bottom, 10 toes on the floor, that's how it's going to be, right? So the cultural aspects of conflict, what's what's worth it and what's just not, um, are also things that vary not only across culture, but across generations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you've shared, Kelly, this idea that yeah, this, this is something that I'm just not willing to remain in this level of institutional harm in order to, to try to rectify other people's issues, right? I know who I am, and I know this ain't what I need to be in right now. And I think that is, that is a profound um, confession. And to be able to say, you know, God bless you, but I'm not, I'm not staying. Yeah. And I think like a lot of as well, I think like um, thinking about generational conflicts, conflict between the generations, uh, I think like oftentimes when people of my age or similar um, do decide to cut off and do decide I'm not going to put my energy into this anymore, uh, often what you see is that these older generations are like, uh, surprised or shocked that like something happened, even mm-hmm. though um, oftentimes, I mean, I think back to, you know, my experience with um, the Methodist church uh, and even those those sermons that I wrote and gave leading up to um, the general conference, like it was obvious that I was trying to make um make way for us to move into a better future you know i was i was putting my heart into these sermons to hopefully lead people into a direction that felt more um liberative and accepting of me and other people um but oftentimes you know what uh what older generations may see is just like rebellious moments or whatever and then a quote-unquote sudden cutoff but i think oftentimes what what um people are not seeing or or maybe don't want to see are these moments of like i'm trying to tell you something and you're not listening to me and that happening several times before a person decides this is enough and i can't do this anymore and i when i think about like people who um have left toxic family situations and things like that oftentimes 
they will have discussions where it's like, this is not good. Something needs to change. This is not good. Something needs to change. I am not going to continue this if something doesn't change. And then when suddenly a relationship is cut off, people are surprised. And it's like the messages were on the wall the whole time. <laughs> I don't right. know where you miss right. this. And I, I think about, you know, my personal experience with religion. Um, Kelly mentioned this briefly, but um, Kelly and I actually met um, at the Methodist General Conference in 2019, the special called General Conference. For those who are listening, just FYI, I am not now, nor have I ever been a Methodist. Often <laughs> I get confused for being a Methodist because there are so many Methodists who are particularly cisgender white queer males um, who were Methodist and they suddenly become United Church of Christ, that there are a lot of people who are just like, oh, you used to be Methodist, didn't you? No, I've never been Methodist in my life. Um, went to a Methodist undergrad, went to a Methodist seminary, have always been something other than Methodist. And when I left the tradition of my birth, it was because of my queerness and the fact that that was not affirmed in that tradition. Mm -hmm. And I can remember immediately beginning to search for another church because for me in my cultural context and my generational context, there wasn't really a thought process of, oh, I've been rejected from my church and so I will not be a part of a religious institution. My thought process was I've been rejected from this church and so I must find another church because I am very compelled by the story and faith of Jesus. And that, I think, is more a cultural shaping that if I were 20 years younger may not have been my story. Because, you know, you, you reference um, being more spiritual but not religious. I often tell people that I err on the side of being religious and not spiritual sometimes. Um, because that's, again, just the process. Like, I grew up in a house where you go to church every Sunday in the morning and the evening. You are in church multiple times a week for Bible study, men's meeting. You go to ladies' meeting because mom has to be there, right? You have youth night at church. Like, it is just a cultural landmark of who you are and for generations that grew up with that kind of church system or other spiritual system um, you know whether it's church synagogue worship you know mass meeting whatever you you had as that anchor it's almost impossible to envision your life without it and so you don't even you don't even contemplate like maybe i need to step away from this so the concept of religious harm or what we in the, the Christian tradition call church hurt, right? Church hurt becomes something that you cope with and you just kind of go along with. Younger generations are in a place where they can say, guess what? Um, if a place is not doing me good, if a place is doing harm to me, maybe I need to leave that place. Maybe I can just be loved by God without that mess. Um, and for me, I find that I find that a fascinating reality because it also mirrors how the world works in our psycho-spiritual systems individually and also in our wider societal structures, right? 
we're seeing this in a political sphere like none other, right? You've got people on every spectrum of political identification who are reevaluating what political identity means, right? What does it mean to be a conservative? Are you a conservative or are you a MAGA conservative, right? Are you a progressive or are you one of those the moderate liberals, right? I mean, there is like vitriol in our political system within ideological camps, like people who would mostly agree with each other on a hundred question political true-false exam, right? are almost at each other's throats because they have this kind of micro delineation of, of purity culture within their systems. We've seen that in the church systems. We've seen that play out literally, um, particularly in American Protestantism over the last 25 years on issues of LGBT inclusion and issues of ordination and marriage, right? just about every one of the denominations. This is not, not just the United Methodists. The United Church of Christ went through this 20 years ago. The ELCA Lutherans, the PCUSA Presbyterians, the folks in the Disciples of Christ, Unitarian Universalist Association, the Reformed Church in America, even the American Baptists, right? All of these different Protestant denominations going through this, like wrestling around this, this issue of sexuality got to a place where something had to change, and many of these systems went into schism. We also see this in other religious traditions. I, I think of my, my friends who are rabbis. You know, when you start talking about what kind of Jew are you, right? People say I'm Jewish, and the first question is like, okay, so what kind of synagogue do you go to? That's almost That's almost the first, like, uh, ferreting out question if you know you're you're watching folks try to figure out okay where are you coming from because conservative and reform and reconstructionist they have very different views of the world that have been shaped because of some very clear fights that folks were willing to have right and yet they've changed they've developed you know the the concept of an egalitarian um, uh, Jewish expression, an egalitarian synagogue, you know, around gender roles, um, places that can affirm not only the tradition that they've been raised with, but new traditions that they have developed and adapted for the life of the people. These are questions that have come through not only the religious aspect of our lives, but also through this cultural revisioning. And for those of us who work in repro, like all of that is the mess within which we find ourselves right now trying to provide care and compassionate support to and with and for and beside people who are seeking reproductive health care. And you, you have to really pull on those strings and kind of open up the book to understand where some folks are coming from. Because when a person comes to us and they are... Um, you know, a person who is 17 seeking, uh, you know, some sort of process around judicial bypass. They are not a regular attender of any religious tradition, but they have like very religious grandparents and uh, those are the support people in their lives. They need some different kinds of conversation than a person who is 38 
raised, dyed-in-the-wool Roman Catholic, part of a very Catholic family, and doesn't want to tell anybody that they're seeking an abortion, right? Those two people have radically different spiritual needs, and they're both valid. They're, they're, they're people who come to us in this space and who seek many different things, but what they need ultimately is support and care and compassion. No matter who they are, no matter where they are in life's journey, and no matter where we are on life's journey, right? We, we have our own stories and our own experiences of religion and our own backgrounds, and those aren't what are the driving important factors when we're providing care to people, right? We, we have to be mindful, right, of, of these generational differences. But looking at these folk in the eye and saying, guess what, we're going to be here for you and we're going to affirm you, even though we may not fully understand your background or, you know, your generational persuasion. Um, it, it's a profound gift. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And I think like, and I wish we had more time that I could totally talk about like some of these uh, restorative and transformative justice practices. You know, you were talking about like, um, the work that goes into preparing to help someone through different, you know, especially like in our work, like through their abortion decision, uh, there is, you know, a different mindset that you need to have for different experiences. And that is something that a restorative justice practitioner would take into account before, you know, dealing with a conflict. Anyway, but I don't have time to go through all of that. Uh, but just thinking about how, uh, you know, I said earlier that sweeping things under the rug is kind of the easy way to go about things. And I say that because it is ultimately more difficult to uh, do the extra work of seeing the full person where they're at and what kind of things affect them um, than it is to just sweep it under the rug and like avoid the conflict and not not deal with it, make it somebody else's problem. But I think what ultimately is the most helpful for the people that we're caring for and the most helpful for, you know, creating a space that is welcoming and helping people is doing the more difficult thing and doing that extra work to be able to, um, you know, make a space where everybody can feel whole and seen and, and all of those kinds of things. But, uh, I think this has been a really great conversation. I think definitely something that um, may come up in future conversations. But uh, we will be back in two weeks to talk about whatever we're going to talk about. <laughs> but um, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.